It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I am Brother L.D. Azobra. I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Count Time would like to send a shout out to all the fathers, dads, innovators, motivators, encouragers, supporters, and whatever it takes to be a wonderful dad. We'd like to say Happy Father's Day. To all the wonderful men and hardworking men who give so much, sometimes we receive so little. (laughs) But we'd like to shout out to all the dads, ask that you continue to be a supporter, encourager, motivator of your children and other children. Because the community, we need all the fathers to continue to step up, stand up, and watch out for all of the children in the community. Happy Father's Day to all. Today I have a long-lost friend, a brother, a mentor, and I guess we can say uh, he's been the first in everything, probably not not just bad rules, probably in the state when I think about it, he's been the first in everything. Uh, the first first brother of African descent to run for uh, the city judge of bad rules, state court, and the appeals court. And also, he was the chancellor of Southern University. Here we're going to say, here come the judge. Here come the judge. <laughs> Everybody know that he is the judge. We got Judge Freddie Pitcher. Welcome to Comptown. Thank you, L.D. Uh, it's great to be here. Oh, wonderful to have you. I, I, I'm going to let y'all know how to beg and scrawl and everything else to get him here. I've been asking for two years for him to come on. Oh, no, no. Come on. It, <laughs> uh, but I'm here. I'm here. here. I'm here. here. Yes. And you, I just say, uh, in school they say, I'm president. Uh, president. <laughs> I'm president. So Pre- president, president and accounted for. When the lack of an answer, I'm president and accounted for. And he and he wrote this wonderful book. How long has the book been out now? The book has been out since uh, July of, of last year. Um, it's titled "View from the Bench." Breaking no, Breaking, breaking Barriers. A view, view from, from the, the bench. bench. By Judge Freddie Pitcher Jr. A graduate of Southern University, oh no, first McKinley, Blue and Gold McKinley, then went to Blue and Gold at Southern University. Right on. So he had this wonderful book. Now, now hold on now. I don't know where they got that picture from. They had to put your high school picture on there. Uh, <laughs> they could have used a more yeah, recent actually, picture. Actually, uh, this is the, 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 the picture on the cover of the book is when I was uh, on the Court of Appeals. And... Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, the the publisher LSU Press, uh, you know, they thought it was a great uh, shot, and they wanted to use it as the cover. So um, uh, when I when I went on the bench, I was 37 years old, and I think I may have been maybe 41 at the time I took that picture. But okay. well, it's a wonderful book. We want in the beginning to encourage everybody to get a to go get a copy of this book because he have contributed and still contributed so much to his community. So much to our society, but we would like to thank him for being here. And uh, we've been—I've been around you, been admiring you, always had the utmost respect, and the way you've carried yourself. Oh, so thank you. you. You're one of the one of the outstanding men uh, in our communities that we all looked up to and uh, looked forward, looked to uh, for, for so much. And by you being the first, that means you have carried a whole lot of weight on your shoulders. For many, many years. Well, what, what has that? What have that been like? Because the community 
have high expectations for you. Absolutely, and I think a lot of times people don't realize, um, you know, how the, the weight actually that you do carry, uh, being the first in 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 a position. And uh, when I was elected to the Baton City Court as the first uh, African American uh, black to be elected to that court, I knew that um, I had to be, you know, about the business of making sure that. I acquitted myself in a way whereby all people, black people, uh, would uh, can know that uh, you know I was going to do the right thing, and and I didn't want to do anything that would in turn embarrass my people, you know, my family, my and, and black people in general. Because once you uh, break that barrier, because that's why I, uh, the title "Breaking Barriers." Once you break that barrier, you don't want to end up doing something that would in turn shut things down for, uh, close the door so nobody else can come behind you. You know, I was there to open up the door, break the barrier so, you know, we can not necessarily have a floodgate of blacks coming to the bench, but have opened that door up so people will know that we too can do this job. Well, you must have did a hell of a job because that door was wide open because I'm Almost everybody down there now look like you and I, the uh, majority uh, of them. Uh, absolutely. After I was elected to the, the city court, uh, five years later, I was elected to the 19th Judicial District Court. And I stayed on that court for six years as the first and only black. And then I was elected to the Louisiana First Circuit Court of Appeals. And I was the first and only black on that court. Now, uh, down at the district court, of the 15 uh, judges on that bench, nine are black. Mm. Um, but I was the only one back during that time. I um, like to think that I did a good job as a judge. I, uh, I was the only black judge for about six years before. Six years? Six years before Ralph Tyson and uh, Curtis Calloway were elected to the city court. Now, what year did you did you arrive down there? I was I was I was first elected in uh, 1983. We'd like to send a shout out to someone who's been with us since the beginning, because she see the value and importance of what we do. Because she loved that we reserve and preserve the history, culture, and the stories of many many people. So I like to send a shout out to Doctor. Joyce Marie Jackson. We'd like to thank her for being part of Count Time Podcast in so many ways. We want to also encourage you to be a legacy maker. You can go to our page and sign up to be a contributor and be a part of Count Time Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Jackson, for supporting us. Let's test it. What gave you the desire or what hit you to say, I'm going down there and run because I think we need representation or it's just that time or somebody approach you? What, what brought you to that place? Well, it was a combination of things. First of all, yes, I thought there was time. We, we needed to have somebody black on the bench. We had had several black attorneys to uh, run for the office and not win. Demographically, we were not, I was not supposed to win. But, you know, I felt like I could, and I, and I wanted to give it a shot. I knew that Byron Stringer was on the city court, had won a judgeship with 7,000 votes. And I knew I could get 7,000 votes. <laughs> um, you you know, bad, I, I Look, I knew I could get 7,000 votes. 
You know, I'm from Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a history. I, uh, just like you said, I went to McKinley. I'm a M McKinley guy. You know, I played football. I was co-captain on the football team. Oh, Lord, I don't this stuff out Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw my stuff out there. <laughs> okay. And, and then after going on to Southern and doing a few things in, in college, I, I got a chance to go to a program at Yale University uh, my junior year uh, during the summer, the summer program. And it was all part of preparing college graduates to work in the poverty program, in the anti-poverty program. And so Yale had this program and I got selected to go. Uh, I was one of five students from Southern to go to that program. It really had a big impact on me because I, that was the first time I was in an integrated educational setting. Uh, also part of it, I worked at a part-time at the New Haven City Planning Agency. First time being in an integrated environment like that. And with being in that environment, I, that's when I knew that, hey, I could com compete. compete huh? I could c compete. And, uh, you know, I came back uh, with a, a sense that, you know, I was going to, you know, take on the world. You know, I was going to, you know, assert myself. Yeah, I finished my last a year of, uh, at Southern. And my first job uh, was with the uh, uh, Community Advancement Incorporated, the... Uh, uh, anti-poverty program for Baton Rouge. That program, I, I was uh, hired as a job developer. And a job developer? A job developer, and I had no experience. They just <laughs> say, look, you go out and develop some jobs. They had a, a the South Baton Rouge Employment Agency that they had, had developed. And, uh, That's the one that Charlie Granger was working Charlie, with? Charlie Granger, Charlie was, uh, oh, okay, yeah, man. Charlie and I, we had a story, I'll tell you about, about being Charlie. But I, I learned a lot by, you know, I had to go out and go and meet with employers and talk to them about hiring black folks. And, you know, I had a lot of doors, you know, closed in my face. You know, I would make appointments with uh, folks. And when they saw that I was black when I got there, you know, the person I was supposed to see uh, wasn't there. But I had to find a way to figure out, you know, how to get around some of the pushback that I was getting. Had some success, but it was a... Uh, a rather daunting experience, you know, to constantly have folks to close the door on you. After a short period of that program, I got promoted to the assistant director of uh, the in-school neighborhood youth corps program. That program really was about job developing also because basically what I was doing, and now I'm going to talking to employers about, you know, hiring uh, high school kids, seniors, uh, to do part-time jobs, you know, in their businesses. You know, and, you know, they were more receptive to me talking about high school kids than when I was approaching them about hiring, you know, a brother, you know, off the streets, you know. <laughs> okay. I, I got drafted, went to the Army. What, the Vietnam War? I was a, a Vietnam-era veteran. I spent 21 months and 17 days in the Army. But before I, I went into the Army, I... Uh, had applied for an assistantship, uh, well, graduate school at LSU, and got accepted. And I thought I was going to be able to use that as a deferment. Uh, but no, you, you, Uncle Sam said, you know, I got you, and they had me. So uh, I went in the Army, spent 21 months, 17 days. Uh, my overseas tour was in, in Germany, not, not in Vietnam. Came back, I got, you know, married while I was in the, in the Army. 
to my college sweetheart at the time, came back and went back to work at Community Advancement. And now I'm, I'm working with the um, Manpower Development Program. You know, again, we're talking about developing jobs. And that was my job to go out and try to develop jobs for the people that they were having training programs. So that, you know, that put me, you know, I had to, you know, learn how to really, you know, promote, you know, the business that I was working for and so forth. More importantly, your community. Oh, oh yeah, well, the, the, well, that's yeah, what it's all about. I mean, to, you had to sell. Yeah, I mean. So it, uh, and it was that hard to find jobs for young people in, the, in your community. Uh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, there was not a whole lot of uh, uh, training going on. We didn't have a whole lot of people with a lot of skills. And consequently, um, I'm trying to get people in, in training programs and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's the kind of work I was doing. Then I got promoted from that position to the assistant director of neighborhood service centers. They had nine neighborhood service centers uh, throughout throughout East Baton Rouge Parish. And that's where Charlie Granger and I, you know, came together. Charlie, I, I was uh, the, the direct, assistant director, and uh, the director left, and Charlie ended up becoming the director, and I was his assistant director. Being in that put, uh, position put me in all over the parish. I'm working now with, uh, in all of the neighborhood service centers, helping people uh, develop programs and projects to uplift their community. So I met a lot of people. You, see, you know, you see, the working, you see the need of the community. Seeing the need of the community, you know, like, you know, people, you know, one of the things, and I think the story has not been told, you know, how valuable community advancement was to the community. I mean, you, you, you interviewed Press Robinson. Press, Dr. Press Robinson, the, the, the group that he was with, the Scotlandville Area Advisory Council, that came out of the, the poverty program, community advancement. All of the neighborhood service centers had advisory councils. And those advisory councils really were the underpinning of, you know, black political activism, uh, black social activism. That's where all it came from out of that program, and yeah, that's a story and a, and a book to be written about that also. So, I, I always wanted to be a lawyer, you know, and I, let me let me go back. Yeah, hold on. Huh? What you mean, where did you see lawyers at that looked like you? I had a, had a cousin. I had a cousin, Alex Pitcher. Alex Pitcher, okay. my, my cousin, was uh, in the first graduating class of Southern University Law School. Uh, he was in that class, and uh, and I write about it in my book. How you know, Alec was my hero. Alec uh, was a civil rights attorney. Alec, you know, really, uh, you know, I was writing a book. That what really caught my attention about it? I was a, I was a youngster. Uh, Alec was a shop dresser, you know, and when he would. Well, that's where you get that from. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and when when he would you know come to our house to visit, by my dad uh, would call his brothers, and they would all come down, and you know, and they have have their usual adult beverage, you know, and, they, and Ellie would talk about the, about the politics and talk about uh, civil rights. And Alec was one of the attorneys who filed the, uh, the East Baton Rouge Parish uh, desegregation uh, lawsuit, uh, which a lot of people don't know. Alec, uh, and that was uh, Davis versus uh, uh, East Baton Rouge Parish, Clifford Davis versus East Baton Rouge Parish. 
And Alec was one of the attorneys who uh, filed that lawsuit. And who were some of the other attorneys? Uh, uh, I think Johnny Jones was part of it. Uh, Robert Eames? No, that was way before that Eames. Before that was way before Eames, yeah. Uh, uh, but did be Bay all that, huh? Murphy Bay? Uh, that was before Murphy. Oh, okay. Um, but, you know, all these guys that ended up being a part of that case later on. Alec, because of Alec's civil rights activities, and this is what I found out and I write about it in the book, Alec ended up, uh, got set up by some black folks and ended up getting charged with theft of client funds. And he ended up being prosecuted and, and, and found guilty, sent to Angola for six months. Now, listen, they never man- They don't send anybody to Angola for those six months. Look, it, I'm gonna tell you, but this was about you are not supposed to be doing civil rights. And I was at a party years later after I became a lawyer. And I write about this in the book, Judge Pugh. Uh, was at that party. Matter of fact, it was a party at Walter Dumas's office over on Government Street. And uh, Judge Pugh asked me, well, you know, how is, so you related to Alec Pitcher? So yeah, yeah, Alec's my cousin. See, how is he doing? I said, Alec is doing fine. Alec uh, went to California and, and, and really he just took off. He got involved in a lot of stuff. He was in Mayor, Eli, uh, Mayor Alioto at the time. Uh, he was uh, in his cabinet running, you know, the, the Hunters Point uh, housing development program and so forth. Uh, he said, you know, you know, Alec was uh, my friend and I told him that he, that civil rights stuff was gonna get him in trouble. And he needed to, uh, and uh, that's what happened. You know, they used that in order to in turn stop him from his civil rights activities. But anyhow, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer like Alex and so I, uh, that's what happened. I uh, spoke to some students one time, told them about the zigs and zags of life. You start off, you know, saying you want to go in one direction and you end up going in another. But, you know, if, you know, you, you keep your mind and eyes set on what you want to do, you can get back. You can zig back to where you want to go. And so I wanted to be a lawyer. And even after, you know, I got the job as a assistant director of neighborhood service centers, you know, my wife, you know, say, hey, look, you always said you want to go to law school. You know, when are you going to do it? Say, here I go. So I went ahead. So your wife encouraged you. Yeah. I, and, and I look, I give in the book, I give my wife a lot of credit for her stake to it and her encouragement and, and 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 how she in turn helped to keep me on the on the uh, positive path. I ended up going to law school and uh, I did well in law school. I graduated number two in my class and from uh, there, I, uh, in my first job uh, as a lawyer was with the Attorney General's office. And, and I'm gonna tell you about some of the people who were in that office, the Attorney General's office with me. And, um, and this, I'm, I'm saying all of this to get back to how I ended up wanting to become a judge. In that office, and in matter of fact, I, I clerked at the Attorney General's office first uh, before I was hired. In my senior year, I was hired as a, as a law clerk in the criminal division of the Attorney General's office. Me and Ralph Tyson, Ralph who eventually became my uh, law partner. Uh, and the federal judge. And a federal judge, right. Uh, 
me and Ralph and uh, a guy named Benny George from Southern, uh, Graves Thomas from LSU, we were hired as clerks in the uh, criminal division. The lawyers in that office was Richard IU, who just died. Who was the Attorney General office. Right. Was the Attorney General. Right, Richard IU, Kitty Kimball. Judge Kitty Kimball. Judge and Justice Kitty Kimball. Now I was her law clerk. Then L.J. Email, who was a city, city, city court judge, district court judge, and he became a U.S. attorney. Mike Ponda, city court judge, district court judge. John Sinkfield, John Sinkfield, uh, district court, the uh, chief prosecutor, chief prosecutor in the attorney general's office, and so forth. That was the cadre of, of lawyers in there. And I, that was in one, one place. One place. And, um, and I write about it in a book. They all, uh, up, they all end up running the city of Baton Rouge. <laughs> and they ended up, so when I, uh, the deal was, you know, uh, you get, uh, they offered me a job uh, and I became, uh, and the, but the job was contingent upon me passing the bar exam now, okay? Right. I took the bar exam and uh, I was the only one in my class in Southern to pass the bar exam at that time. And uh, so here it is, I'm, I'm working in a- A whole class of students. Yeah, it was only about 15 of us. You know, back during that time, the, the law center, law school was uh, small. Who, who was your chancellor then? Uh, the chancellor, I, I went through three, de it was deans then, we didn't have chancellors. Uh, I went through three uh, deans in three years of law school. When I uh, first got to law school, uh, the dean was uh, Dean, um, Van LaCour, he had just taken over uh, for uh, uh, Dean uh, Lenoir, who had just retired. Then after one year, Dean LaCour stepped down. Then it was Jesse Stone was the, was the dean for one year. And became the president. And became the president. Uh, so and I write about it in the book. Uh, <laughs> Uh, about my conversations with him. Then the third year uh, was Dean Lewis Berry. So, uh, so I had three deans in three years. So, you know, the law school situation was pretty unstable back during that time. But um, I, I thought we, we were pretty well grounded in, uh, in, 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 the, in our legal education, but uh, I was fortunate to be the only one in the class to uh, pass. But the other guys, they, they eventually pass, and I tell people, yeah, even though I was the only one to pass, uh, the others are all millionaires, and, and I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, That's interesting. Yeah, but I um, uh, get a call from Joe Delpit uh, one day, and I was uh, here, and I had to turn to Joe's office, and Joe uh, asked me, he said, look, uh, Freddie, uh, congratulations on passing the bar. But Jill Newman and I want to talk to you about taking a job down at City Parish. I said, Joe, I, look, I got a job. Uh, I said, what was his job about? Federal aid coordinator. I said, Joe, I'm a lawyer. I mean, I want to be about the business of practicing law. And he said, look, hear me out. So I went down and talked to Joe. 
So he was, at, he was on the city council? He was on the city council at the time. She said, look, Jewel and I are trying to get black people hired in upper level positions in the, in the city. And uh, a guy named Glenn Dakota just resigned from a position as federal aid coordinator, and Glenn is an attorney. So we thought about you. Let's put, let's try to put Freddie in that position. I said, I mean, Joe, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I said, how much does it pay? And he told me, I said, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, he, it, it paid more money than I was making. And uh, he, because he said, look, you know, we can get you, we can get the council to, uh, to, to hire you, you know? And uh, I said, okay. So I gave up the, the Attorney General thing, went to the city as federal aid coordinator and assistant council budget officer. Now, what was, you know, I didn't see the real benefits at that time because uh, it was more you know, on the political side than it was on the legal side. I did uh, a, a lot of stuff dealing with grants, you know, researching grants and and helping councilmen to, uh, they would be looking for stuff for their various constituents and you know, they would call say, look, would you look up this and so forth. And then uh, Mayor Dumas, uh, uh, the mayor thought that I worked for him more than I worked for the council and he, uh, he sent me to Washington a couple of times to represent him. So it was, uh, I was, I didn't realize it, I was beginning to meet, you know, the power brokers in the city all the city councilmen, uh, the mayor, and there was Joe and, and Jewel Newman, you know, who were, uh, you know, real good friends of mine. And so um, I said, oh, you know, gee whiz, you know, I, I still didn't see all this stuff coming together the way it eventually ended up. I got a call from the mayor's office to represent the mayor and the council at, uh, a meeting of the uh, uh, the uh, National uh, Baptist Association, you know, the one that Reverend Jimerson yeah, was right. over, yeah. And uh, it was a meeting, a big meeting at at uh, at uh, Mount Zion. So I ended up going to, to represent the mayor and the council, and O.C. Brown was was uh, there. Who was then the the, the district, district attorney? attorney. Okay. I got up and uh, you know to represent, you know, to speak to the congregation on, on behalf of the mayor and the, and the, and the council. And then, um, you know, I got a rousing reception and so forth. You know, I grew up in the Baptist church, you know, so I uh, kind of like knew what, you know. Uh, the, the, the protocol. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, O.C. was there and he heard me. And so uh, I sat back down and, and O.C. eased on out, you know, and he left. So, uh, you know, and you know, in the Baptist church, how these things go on, you know, for a while. So I, you know, I got up to ease on out myself and uh, ended up, uh, O.C. Uh, was still outside, he and his driver, and uh, a guy named Mitch, he called me over to the car, said, look, O.C. want to talk to you. O.C. said, look, how would you like to become an assistant district attorney? I said, well, you know. Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. I said, you know, I mean, really, I mean, I don't know. Uh, he said, well, look, come by and see me. And when you're ready, come by and see me. You know. Uh, he, he made a straight up job Straight up, offer. straight up, straight up job offer. So I, I really hadn't had it, not thought about being a, 
you know, assistant district attorney. Uh, so I thought that what I would do, I went and uh, uh, Mr. LaCour uh, had gone into law practice and he was really, you know, a mentor of mine as well. I went by to see Mr. LaCour. I said, Mr. LaCour, you know, Bosey Brown offered me a position as a assistant DA, you know, you know, what do you think? He said, look, I think you ought to take it. We need black folks in the DA's office. Um, mm -hmm. We need somebody like you down in the DA's office. Were there any at the time? Yeah, uh, there was uh, Nathan Wilson. Nathan, but Nathan was working in juvenile. He wasn't in a criminal uh, section. So, you know, it was kind of like he was there, but people really wouldn't know that he was there because the juvenile section is, you know, was down by, by the airport. And, and the cases that he was doing, you know, those cases didn't get in the, in, in the newspaper. I said, well, okay, I'm a think about it some more. So I went by and talked to Murphy Bell, you know, uh, and I asked Murphy what, what he thought. See, and Murphy said, look, yeah, I think you ought to take it. I think you ought to take it. Again, we need, we need black people, you know, on both sides, you know, of the aisle, not just on defense, but we need folks on, on the prosecutor side also. The advice from, you know, these two senior members of the bar, um, I went and talked to uh, OC and I was now I'm assistant district attorney. Yeah, I mean that was an experience. Uh, so, so all your jobs so far came to you. I just I didn't apply for. You, you, you didn't apply for nothing up to this point. You haven't right. applied for anything. Right, right, right. That's that was. Uh, I, I mean it was a blessing. It, it was a blessing and uh, and because that's where you know talk about the zigs and zags of life. You know you have your I sit on one thing and some other things will come up, you know, and, uh, and, and take you in another direction. But becoming an assistant district attorney uh, uh, was also uh, a great marker and catapult in my career. I, um, you know, you, you heard me talk to uh, Chick Moore about uh, prosecuting uh, uh, murder cases. I prosecuted uh, murder cases. I prosecuted uh, all kinds of cases. I started off doing uh, misdemeanors, and in the first uh, jury trial I ever tried was the murder case. Uh, the jury came back not guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah, but but, you, I, but you, got, you got to give a little lift. That's a pretty interesting story. You yeah, and yeah. That's how you became good friends with yeah with, 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 with uh, uh, yeah Chick Charles Chick Moore. Moore yeah. And they, what happened in that? That was your first case. That was my first. Case. That was my first jury trial. Was a was a murder case, and I write about it in a book because it was a kind of harrowing experience um, for uh, some of the people involved in the case and the witnesses in the car and uh, you know how this guy shot his girlfriend in the head and uh, had two people sitting in the back seat and they were paralyzed. You know they thought he was going to turn around and shoot them, but he just kept driving. And uh, when he got to the first stop sign, uh, they bolted out of the car. <laughs> I said, yeah. they don't think about this. Oh, uh, look, yeah, they were running for their dear life. Uh, but anyhow, the jury found him guilty, not guilty by reason of insanity. They write it on the book. Uh, once you, uh, that uh, finding is held, you don't just leave. You 
uh, you're committed to a mental institution, you know, and that's what happened to this guy. So he ended up uh, still being incarcerated, but not in a penal institution, but in a mental institution. So. But, but you said at, at that time, too, I heard you say that this man had killed somebody and the jury felt. Uh, he, he, he did a very good acting job <laughs> and he fell out on the floor. Uh, at one point, point and wallowed around, and the judge, um, you know, told the jury you can go back to the jury room for coffee. And, and he jumped up and ran into the in the jury room. They had to pull him out of there, and it was a it was a it was a scene. Now, who was the judge in that case? Uh, judge John Covington. Judge John Covington. Um, but um, I, I also uh, I I prosecuted the first capital murder case. Uh, death penalty case uh, in Baton Rouge after Furman versus Georgia. Furman versus Georgia uh, is the United States Supreme Court case that reinstated uh, the death penalty. And it was the second one in the state. And, uh, and I, I, I write about it in a book. Uh, uh, the young man who uh, was uh, prosecuted, this was his second murder. And uh, he had uh, brutally killed a young 18-year-old girl uh, back behind the Five Crown, Five Crown Social Club. He had served uh, time in Angola, and he hadn't been out of Angola, I think, uh, no more than six, eight months. And uh, he was terrorizing South Baton Rouge. You know, uh, he brutally stabbed this girl uh, back behind his club. Uh, and I was the duty assistant at the time, so uh, the case came to me. Even though I was a junior, uh, there were more senior lawyers in the in the office, and uh, I told Sir Brown that I, you know, I wanted the case. Uh, this atrocity had com had been committed in my community. The, the first murder this guy was uh, convicted of was uh, uh, he had bludgeoned Dr. Bashful's uh, father to death. Uh, Dr. Bashful used to, was at Southern and then was the uh, chancellor at Suno for a number of years. I um, took him to trial and he was convicted, uh, but the jury didn't give him the death penalty. And I think he's still in, 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 in Angola at this time. He's still, he's still alive? I think, yeah, I think he's still alive. That's, that's what I last heard. But, uh, you know, after that, that was a big deal. That was a big deal. I mean, I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was a trial that uh, lasted for a number of days. And uh, uh, i never forget, uh, the, the jury came back on a Sunday and uh, the courtroom was packed. And it was packed with a lot of black folks was in there. Uh, that was unusual. Quite unusual. Yeah. It, and it was, it, which side it was on? Well, see, that's the thing. They uh, they were on my side. Oh, okay. The what what happened uh, when the they were um, uh, because this guy had you know he 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 had done some things and you know uh, how do you support somebody who you know has stabbed and mutilated a woman. Uh, the police, because the, the 
DA's office was across the street from the courthouse, and so after the jury came back uh, on the on the guilt phase, um, I had to walk across the street. So they thought they had to escort me across the street um, because of all these black folks in the audience. <laughs> I said, say, they weren't there for him. <laughs> They were there for me, and 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 for the victim, yeah, and for the victim. But you know, after that trial, I stayed around in the DA because I was only DA's office two and a half years, and um, I wanted to go back into into private practice, and which I did. Um, went back to private practice. Now, who, who was your law partner? Uh, it was it was Pitcher Tyson, Avery, and Cunningham. Um, I first met Ralph Tyson down at LSU. I, my uh, yeah, because he went he went to attend. He, he he went to LSU, and he was the only black in school at LSU at the time in law school. And I went down there uh, to take a course during the summer, and I was the second black, so I was the visiting black, and he was the resident <laughs> black. And uh, you know, I write about it in a book, and that's when I first met Ralph, and and then we ended up uh, clerking together at the uh, Attorney General's office. Now, where, where was Ralph from? Uh, South Baton Rouge. South Baton Rouge, but I was from Valley Park, okay. and uh, well, but Valley, I didn't know him. But Valley Park got a whole whole other history all by itself. Yeah, I write about Valley Park okay. in the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, I, I got to regress that. You got to tell us about your upbringing. Your family, who you, your mom, dad, who was your mom and dad? Uh, uh, I, I'm Junior, Freddie Pitcher Junior, and uh, my dad, Freddie Pitcher Senior. My mother, Lucy uh, Ingram Pitcher. Uh, my dad uh, worked at Exxon for well, now Exxon, but back then it was uh, uh, Standard Oil, and uh, then uh, Esso. Esso, and uh, he retired after 33 years there. And uh, my mother was a beautician. She had a beauty shop in the back of our house. Um, I, uh, my parents had five kids, uh, four boys and one girl. Just working, working class family. So where you where you fall at in the in the? In the I, I'm I was second to the oldest. And my uh, uh, oldest brother, uh, Floyd. Uh, Floyd uh, went to McKinley, played football. I got kicked out of school the senior year and ended up went to New York and lived in New York for some. Uh, Floyd uh, had been in New York almost 40 years before he died in New York. Um, but um, good big brother, good big brother. So he's a good uh, yeah. example for you. Yeah, a good big brother, yeah, a good big brother. Yeah. Now, now what elementary school you went to? Uh, we had, I started off at, uh, and I write about this in the book too, my, my mother, uh, there was a church school in Valley Park. See what folks, you know, uh, look at Valley Park now, which is, uh, Valley Park was really rural when I was growing up. Uh, that's yeah. right, that's right, because that was like in the woods, that was, that, 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 that was, was almost, uh, look, Valley Park, I mean, folks had cows, horses, goats, uh, we had, uh, everybody had a garden. You had um, chicken, chicken coops. Actually, it was only two ways into Valley Park, uh, uh, Valley Street and Bailey's Drive. Uh, folks look at College Drive now, which is a ma major thoroughfare. 
College Drive, college drive was a, uh, I remember when it was a, it dead ended at Baywell Street uh, and there was nothing on the uh, side where, uh, on the other side from Valley Park, there was nothing but woods on the other side uh, of College Drive. And it dead ended. It didn't go all the way up to uh, the golf course and on. It, it dead ended. Uh, so, I mean, where Perkins Road at, it didn't go? It, it, it started at Perkins, okay. went up to Baywell Street, and dead ended. Right there. Right there. You, you turn down Baywell Street, you got Acadian Thruway. Well, you couldn't go all the way to Acadian Thruway. Uh, uh, Baywell dead ended about 300 yards from Acadian. You weren't letting black folks into the white community. That's what that all oh, that was about. Yeah. So we were cut you off. Huh? Yeah, we were we were cut off. And but, but uh, also, College Drive between College and Perkins, that was mostly black families there. Then. Yeah, you're right on the yeah. That was Valley Park on 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 the left side. Yeah, on the right side, you know, there was had nothing over there. That's what I'm saying. That, yeah. I mean, that's all. That's all I remember when I first got to mm -hmm. got here in the town. That's all I remember. College Drive and SLA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was, it was the country. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, I write about it in the book, you know, about growing up in Valley Park. So you went to Valley up, Park Elementary? Yeah, then it had Valley Park Elementary. Um, and well, What was the school like? What was Valley Park like? Elementary school? Yeah. Um, I, 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 had, I had a couple pretty good uh, teachers, which I, I uh, also write about. Uh, uh, Mr. Piper, who was the principal, was a big guy who walked around with a big board, and you don't want to get Mr. Piper with that board on you. He would, uh, he got your attention. But um, uh, Mrs. Chris and Terry, who's my sixth grade teacher, who have a picture of her in the in my uh, book uh, because she attended uh, my uh, investiture as as a judge. But I, I give a lot of uh, Shout out to uh, Mrs. Godfrey, who um, is in the fourth grade, who taught phonics and phonetics, and uh, they was teaching phonics back then. She did. She and, and that's where I really, really learned how to read well, and well, how to phonetically break words down and sound words out, and and then you know I could you know that's when I really started to, to get into. You know, really being able to read well. So as a as a that's youngster, um, I, I I was a avid reader of stuff. But it was in her class that is when the world kind of opened up of being able to, you know, really start reading and reading well because she that's what she taught all of us. And I I that I, I give her a shout out in the in the book. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you can you can remember that that well because that had that big of an impact. It, it 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 was very impactful. It was very impactful. I um, and and I think that you know that's when I began to start growing academically too. You know, uh, you know I didn't really blow things out of the water as being a top student or anything like that. But I was able to hold my own uh, and on from. So, Valley Park Elementary. But reading, mm -hmm. once you realize that you can read. 
Reading is fundamental. That does something to you and for you. Re- reading is, is fundamental. And uh, when I get a chance to talk to kids now, especially young kids, I try to encourage them. You know, you, you, the whole world opens up to you when you can read. You can go, go places and visit places through books that you will never get the chance to see. Uh, you can travel it, the world. It, it, right, travel the world. Explore things, and um, so that's kind of like, you know, helped to undergird me uh, as I was coming up as a youngster, and uh, even when uh, you know I wasn't doing the right things, I still, you know, had a enough undergirding foundation. Ed- foundation yeah, that uh, that got me over. I mean, you know, yeah, I try to inspire kids today, you know, I mean, yeah, these are basic things that you do. You get these basic things down, that'll take you a long way. Yeah. So now, now you go to uh, on, Park Elementary. On to, on to uh, McKinley, uh, had McKinley Junior High at the time. Oh, okay. And McKinley Junior was on the same campus with McKinley Senior. Um, they had just built a, a the, the junior high school uh, career was rather unremarkable. Uh, I got started hanging out with a couple of guys who uh, uh, we would cut class and come home. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so, so, uh, so the judge ended up getting a little taste of that too. Uh, look, and and what and what happened? What kind of like got me back on the right track was uh, when we um, when both of them flunked, failed the grades, and I passed because I couldn't come home and, and not pick up a book. My uh, father uh, was going to night school and, and working at the plant. And, and uh, he said, yeah, boy, if I can go and work in that damn plant all day and then come home and, and study, what you gonna do? So I had to do something. You know, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. Uh, daddy watching it. Yeah, daddy yeah, yeah, it. yeah. So. Uh, now, 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 the other two road dogs. Now, who were they? Uh, <laughs> Let's give a shout out. Uh, I, in the book, I call them. You know, their their first name uh, was uh, Henry and Mason. Um, you know, I don't want you know, throw anybody under the bus. Um, you know, both of them now deceased, but. Uh, I, um, you know, after that happened, that was kind of like a wake up, you know, and uh, then plus we had a, a change in uh, in my 10th uh, grade. Uh, uh, I was put in a different homeroom and uh, and I and, and from from 10th grade through 12th grade, I was, you know, honor roll student. You, you made that big of a turnaround. Made that big of a turnaround. Ninth grade, uh, seven through uh, nine, so-so. Uh, uh, what, what happened? What, well, what, 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 well, it was kind of it was kind of like the, the, when when I got it, the, the class that I got in, the students were uh, uh, a little more. Um, it was a different group of students who wanted to who kind of achievers and um, um, and you know I'm a. Com- you know, I 
wasn't going to sit in class and have folks outdo me. Uh, and so I, you know, I, uh, and, you know, and, and uh, it, it was, uh, I started doing well. And I ended up being, uh, you know, president of my homeroom class and um, went to Bayou Boys State, uh, at Bayou Boys State. Uh, it was held at LSU at the time? Uh, no, that that this this was. Hey man, look, this was. We got LSU. They wouldn't let us on LSU campus. What you talking about? I was up at Southern. It's up at Southern, and um, so uh, and while at Bayou Boy State, I was elected the first uh, district attorney, and then uh, at Bayou Boy at Bayou, Bayou, Bayou Boy State. So you talking and about then, fifteen years, sixteen years old? Uh, yeah, and then I was elected. Uh, to the Court of Appeals, you know, I mean, in that seven day period, you know, we went through, they taught us, you know, you know, the the workings of, of government. And, um, and it, you, know, you, you know, your parish, everybody that separate, you know, parish and uh, so, and uh, then, uh, you know, Coach Ford uh, 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 appointed me uh, as the, as co-captain of the football team. Now, 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 what grade you started playing football? Uh, I started playing uh, in the 10th grade. I wanted to go out in the 9th grade. Uh, I got my arm broke playing sandlock. And uh, and I write about it in the book. I went to uh, Coach Mincer. I had my arm in a cast. E.J. Mincer. <laughs> yeah, he, well, E.J.'s e. 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 dad. Yeah. His name was E.J. too, wasn't it? No, no, uh, George, George, George E. George E., yeah. Yeah, E.J., and I were co-captains together. Oh, okay. Dr. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah, we were co-captains together. And uh, but uh, I had uh, I had to, went to uh, Coach Benson with the cast on my arm. Asked him about uh, when was uh, 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 spring practice going to start. He said, "Boy, what you what you tell me? You already got one broke arm. What you do?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, uh, so I went out uh, for football. I played guard and linebacker. And uh, we had 167 pounds. And um, guard and linebacker. Guard and linebacker. Uh, and uh, I would I would stick you now. I would hit you. Oh, Lord. I would hit you. Yeah, yeah. I'll take your word for it. Ain't nobody let you say it in otherwise. So. Yeah. Uh, so my senior year, I was I was cool captain of the football team. You you and Dr. E.J. Best. Right. Yeah. 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 So did, well, now what? Did you had thought you had a chance to play college sport? College sport. I I thought about it, wanted to, um, but uh, Coach Mumford was the coach at Southern at the time, okay. and told uh, Coach Ford that you know I needed if I wanted to play football, I had had to put on some weight. You know I couldn't. You know he didn't. Uh, I weighed 167 pounds. You know and. Um, but there was a guy named Walter Lundy uh, who played at Southern who was small like me. Um, but Lundy got built himself up and he went up, up gained about 20 pounds and Lundy ended up you know, being a good football player. I, I started working at Piccadilly's during the summer, eating all I could, working out at the same time. I couldn't gain any weight. I, I, could, you know, I was hard as a knot, but I couldn't gain any weight. <laughs> And uh, then I then I was majoring in, in architecture. I, I I just didn't have 
time to play football, and so. Um, but but your academic, you started uh, thriving in, in your academic. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That had yeah. to be pretty exciting too when you realized yeah. that oh, I can do this work. Yeah, and see, that's what I, you know. I, I stayed in architecture for, for a year, and I realized that I, you know that wasn't wasn't what I wanted to do. Let me go back to talk about being a lawyer, what I always wanted to be, and I switched over to political science, and things just blossom after that. I, uh, grades, you know, just went up and. Um, Did you run for SGA president or something? No, I, no, I, I didn't. I didn't do that, but I was active with the political science uh, 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 association, pre-law society stuff like that, uh, uh, other organizations. Uh, but you know, being a campus leadership, you know, I wasn't wasn't about that. Uh, and um, but uh, what really, and this is segueing back to uh, that program at at, uh, at Yale. That uh, you know, I was going into my senior year. Uh, that program, I went there that summer uh, between my junior and senior year, and that's. And so when you put all those things together, and going all the way back to you know, how is it I ended up looking at becoming a judge. When um, I saw Kitty Kimball, uh, Kitty uh, ended up becoming, uh, when she left the uh, uh, AG's office, she went and she became uh, an assistant DA over in uh, West Baton Rouge. Uh, Richard IU went to Lake Charles, became assistant uh, district attorney, uh, and then the DA. Um, uh, LG email, Mike Ponda went to the DA's office here at Baton Rouge, and now I go to the DA's office. All these guys ended up becoming uh, judges, and I write about it in the book. Say, so why not me? Mm. You know, because I felt that uh, I had the same pedigree academically, uh, legally. Uh, you know, I. The only thing that was different was I was black. And, uh, and the question was whether or not uh, white folks in Baton Rouge was, was ready to uh, vote for uh, a black as a, as a judge. And, uh, with, uh, and I saw that uh, Byron Stringer had won with 7,000 votes. And looking at my connections in Baton Rouge, you know, the jobs that I had, the people I'd met, the political connections I ended up having, having worked at community advancement, uh, you know, knowing a lot of people, uh, I could get 7,000 votes. And we had to break that barrier. And that's what we did. Now, as, as an attorney, and you, but you're still in your own world, you're in the world of, with your people, your community, there was, you know, the only interaction was basically on the job, right? And you all decided, look, it's, it's, we got just as many of us in this city to run. We need representation. I mean, you're thinking about, okay, nobody like to lose. Right. Nobody like to lose. Mm -hmm. And you this handsome young man, you know, you know, Southern Knight, McKinley Knight. You know, you got a lot going for yourself, but is it enough to win? And if I lose, can I handle this? Did, did, how, how did how did you process that? Well, you know, I wasn't thinking about 
losing. I was thinking about winning. And, um, and it was about putting together, you know, putting what kind of uh, team uh, effort could we put together in order to make it happen. And that's why I, I write about it in my book. And one of the reasons why I, write, I wrote the book is because I want to add some of the backstory on how this all happened to become the first. Um, because invariably people will pick up stuff and say, oh, Freddie Pitch was the first. But it just didn't happen. It, 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 you know, there are things that had to come together, especially when demographically, you know, I wasn't supposed to win. And when I first announced that I was going to run, you know, uh, you know, some of my black lawyer colleagues, you know, said, you know, it's an exercise in futility. You know, uh, we had a meeting of the Martinet Society, and uh, which is a black lawyers group, and uh, when I announced it, said, you know, you're wasting your time. Because uh, Norbert Rayford, who was a, a, a senior uh, uh, black lawyer, ran a great race for a judgeship against Doug Morrow. And, and Norbert came uh, several thousand votes shy of, of winning. And um, I... Uh, would not have run had Norbert wanted to run again because I thought that I should defer to, you know, the senior person who had already tried it. But he told me he didn't want to run. He was going to wait and run for district court. So okay, well I'm going to run. And, um, and 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 one of the things that a lot of people have picked up, and what I wanted to put out of the book is the value of relationships, how important relationships are when you're trying to, in turn, do something big. Because the relationships, that's why I was telling you about community advancement and, and the political stuff, you know, in working as a, uh, the neighborhood worker, I mean, a job developer, working, uh, you know, with Joe Delford, who have federal aid coordinator, you know, those kind of positions, you meet people and those relationships, you know, can, if you can coalesce them together, can help you to, you know, achieve the ends that you want to achieve. And then from relationships to coalition building, um, there are groups of, of people that, uh, who are in groups that you try to put coalitions together in order to make things happen. And I write about this in the book. There are three coalitions that I put together. Black politicians, black clergy, and young white lawyers. Chick, Chick Moore, Charles Moore, you know, helped to put together a group of white lawyers that came to support me. And that group of lawyers, the black politicians, and the black clergy, that coalition helped to catapult me from being just a candidate for a judgeship to becoming a judge. 
And, 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 I, and I tell young lawyers this today, folks who aspire to become judges, what relationships do you have? You have to, you know, you, you can't just operate in a vacuum and all of a sudden try to reach out for something that you want and you don't know anybody, you haven't worked with anybody. You know, what have you done in your community to in turn uh, have uh, people to want to help you to achieve what you want to achieve? You know, you don't achieve it just because you want it. You achieve it because people, you know, help you to get there. Um, and just like I said, I, you know, I, I grew up in a black church. I write, wrote a piece in the book about the black church and how important it was not only for your spirituality, but also uh, about, you know, how uh, uh, black pastors came together and, and helped me. I, I, uh, Reverend uh, uh, Ulysses Hayes, uh, who's uh, uh, president of the First Ward Voters League, early on wrote me a letter and asked me to consider running for a judgeship. And he did it as the president of the First Ward Voters League. Uh, and then, so Reverend Hayes, Ulysses Hayes, Reverend Charles Smith, and Reverend, um, oh, gee whiz, I'm spelling, but I, I, it's going to come back. Um, these men, um, when they, when I went to talk to them, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. So that had to be quite satisfying for your community to be willing to stand with you, behind you, whatever way. Oh, look, I mean, it, it, was, it was a big thing. I mean, it was a big thing. Um, is another white lawyer who I write about the book, uh, who uh, I named uh, J. Arthur Smith, uh, Art stopped me one day and said, hey, I heard you want to run for judge. And uh, he suggested that I talk to some folks down in New Orleans. Dutch Morial had just won the mayoral race down in New Orleans, and uh, he uh, was a guy named uh, David Marcello who worked in Dutch's campaign and said, you know, why don't you go down and talk to him? So he and I got in the car, drove down there, met with uh, David Marcello, and David said, hey, look, you know, you know about these coalitions? That's, you know, because you know in New Orleans they have soul, bold, you know, all these kind of organizations. Yeah, they got a lot of societies, I think. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, but, you know, Basol, Bowl, uh, Coup, and all those political organizations. Oh, political organizations. Oh, those political organizations, yeah. Um, how he was able to coalesce those together. So that helped you a lot to understand. To, to, to understand that. Okay. Look, they had 50, in Baton Rouge, they had 15 black political organizations. But you had the, the, the big ones. You had the South Baton Rouge Advisory Council. That's Joe Delphi's group. Uh, you had um, the Scottonville Advisory Council. That was uh, 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 Richard Turner Lee and Press Robinson and Jewel Newman. You had the First Ward Voters League. Uh, that was uh, Reverend Eustace Hayes. You had the Second Ward Voters League, uh, that was A.C. Belton. Uh, you had the Eden Park Advisory uh, Council, that's the big five. That was uh, 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 oh, that one's going to come to me also. Uh, that's what I need to write about. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. If, you know, so the big five, 
But in addition to the big five, you had 10 other small ones out there. You know, everybody wanted to be a kingmaker, you know. And um, so Joe was able to pull all of these together. They did, and, and all of them used to have ballots. Everybody got a ballot for election day. On the day of my election, there was one ballot, one ballot with all 15. That was big. All 15 signed off on one ballot endorsing my candidacy. Another thing that happened that was unheard of, normally you had to uh, kick out some, some you cash. You, know. you had to pay up front. You had to kick out some cash, you know, uh, in order to help pay for stuff, you know. <laughs> hey, look, I didn't have to pay for anything. I, I, I didn't have to get, you know, they took care of everything. They, they, we're going to put our people on the street and we're going to, uh, pay for it. Um, so they, it was it was a it was a call call celeb for the black community. That's what, that was a call to action. Yeah, and Joe did a yeah. heck of a job. Yeah, yeah. the I mean, people around the community. Right. Look, I mean, but look. You was the right. You have to be the chosen one. That you was the right <laughs> one. So and all the well, stars had a line. Well, you know, uh, you know, um, I think that you know people, you know. Uh, you know, I had worked in the community. Um, you know, I, uh, and, and a lot of times it was just doing background stuff. Didn't have to be out front helping people to get stuff done, showing them how to do it. Uh, you know, telling folks how to be able to go down to the council meeting and, and what to, you know, how you plan to, to, you know, petition for stuff. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we were doing um, and uh, so, you know, all of that, you know, came back and uh, we were able to put it together. And, and, and then, you know, I needed 15 percent of, of the white vote in order to win. No matter what, you still need I needed still still need 15 percent. Okay. And uh, I got 23 percent. I got 23 percent. And. And when I ran for district court, I got I got 43 percent of the white vote. And I, I mean, 97 percent of the black vote, 43 percent of the uh, white vote. In, in, in city court, 99 percent of the black vote, black vote, and 23 percent of the white vote. Um, and one and one thing I think that worked for me, uh, being an assistant DA, uh, that kind of like you know for white folks that yeah. you know kind of like give you the good housekeeping stamp of approval or something you know. But, <laughs> but, but then these guys work with you; they was able to vouch right, for the quality right. of, of man you were. Right, you know, and so um, so we all like you say, but all that was relationship building throughout right. the process. Right. But not just that, these jobs that you had prior to that was job development job, taught you how to bring together, how to organize. And, and put people and, together. Yeah, put people together. So right. you, had, you had some on-the-job training, didn't realize what was going on. I, I, you know, that, that's the absolute truth. Um, I was in it, doing it because, you know, uh, I'm a, a product of the 60s and 
you know, you know, I, I didn't uh, grow up in a uh, integrated environment, so consequently, you know, um, you know, I wanted to try to, you know, make things, you know, better for black folks. Um, being a lawyer was not about just about making money. It was about, you know, being a change agent. And uh, and I think that uh, and becoming you know breaking the barrier down in, in in the judiciary was was part of being a change agent because you know I was I was the seventh black to be elected to a judgeship in the state of Louisiana and, and only the second one outside of the metropolitan area of New Orleans um, so um, you know I, I you know people used to ask me you know. Uh, well, uh, what about running for uh, the legislature? Well, you know, that's cool and dandy, but as a judge, I had more power, you know, because, you know, I made decisions affecting people's lives, you know, directly and, and immediately that had ripple effects through families, uh, you know, a, a, a legislator uh, can't do anything without other people. You know, you can you know talk about well, I'm state representative or council person, but you know you yeah, just one vote. <laughs> yeah, you, you just got one vote. You know, uh, you know, as a judge in your section of the court, you got all the votes. You know, uh, but you and you was a very not it was, you still are, a very fair being, human being, fair man. Because I came to you on behalf of a friend of mine. Yeah. You remember that, you remember that oh, situation? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Ramsey Dardar. <laughs> Ramsey Dardar, that was a, uh, Ramsey, um, and you know, I really, and I still could be used to this day uh, for reaching out and try to help a friend, you know, because a lot of times, uh, you know, folks get in trouble and uh, a lot of folks go the other way. Uh, but you came down and you, you uh, wanted to help Ramsey. You knew that Ramsey had a drug problem, that, um, you know, we, we tried all we could to help him. If you recall, I, I think uh, I initially put him on Probation. I think he had a, a, a bunch of burglary charges. He was a guy who had LS, star LSU football player had gone to the pros, but you know drugs had pulled him down right. to the point that be, he became you know a cat burglar. So you know here here it is. You came to see me about you know we you know what we can do in order to help him, and and because of you, uh, uh, we tried to put him in a program to get him straight. Uh, Put him on probation, but you know, as I tell, you know, all the people that I, when I was a criminal court judge, I, I, I will give you the first break. You, 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 you know, unless you commit a murder or some, you know, atrocious thing, um, I will try to be as helpful as I can. Don't do it the second time and come for. For mercy, that don't work. That it doesn't work, you know, um, uh, because most of the time, you know, it was the, our people were being the victims of a lot of this crime. Um, 
But in Ramsey's case, you know, he uh, he was burglarizing down around LSU, so, yeah. <laughs> around the neighborhood. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you know, but Ramsey, to this day, I would have to say he's one of the best human beings I had ever met, mm -hmm. had ever mm -hmm. been around. But I, I tell everybody he's one of the kind of guys that give you the shirt off his back. Mm -hmm. And I know that his, really the drugs had overtaken him because mm -hmm. it made him out of a, somebody he really was not. Yeah. And I was and I was willing to fight for him, and I know he had a good family. His wife is, you know, they were good people, and uh, we all felt that way. But yeah. it wasn't just was not just me. Any, any, anybody who knew Ramsey knew what he stood for. And now he's at home. He's he been out for quite some time. He's doing well and taking care of himself and his family. So oh. you know, so it all worked out at the end. It took a while. It, it, well, it, yeah, it took a while because you know he. From him. Yeah, he 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 violated while he was on probation for me and. Uh, and uh, I had to remand him to prison. Tied he, your head. Tied look, your head. yeah, I, you know, I said, can't, can't help you, Ramsey. You know, you just got to go. And um, when I, I left the bench, you know, I went on to uh, left the district court, went to and, uh, court of appeals. I was the court of appeals for, uh, again, I was the first black there as well uh, uh, on the first circuit. Uh, Therefore, uh, four and a half, almost five years, and. I went to Phelps Dunbar as a partner, and me and my partners were walking down the street one day going to lunch, and all of a sudden I heard somebody scream out, Judge Pitcher! And I looked up, and this big old guy come running across the street. It was Ramsey. I said, oh, gee whiz, I wanted Ramsey to be <laughs> You, you didn't want to take all right. I said, "Yes, oh, gee whiz, am I going to have to fight him today?" You know, you know, I put this man in prison, you know, and he's running across the street at me, and and I was kind of like braced myself, getting ready for to get attacked, you know, and uh, and he just reached out to grab a judge picture. Oh, so good to see you, and he said, "Look, you know, judge, I know you could have given me way more time than you did." You know, but you know, I've I've kind of learned a lesson, uh, and I and I thank you for for what you did. You tried to help me, and you know, and I just kind of melted. Then you, know, <laughs> I just kind of melted. Yeah, yeah, shoot. I mean, the way he screamed out, <laughs> way he screamed out, man. I thought, I, shoot. I thought that. Oh, gee whiz, this about. I got to fight it. Yeah, I'm here. I got this big old guy was going to. Oh man! So uh, yeah, that was that was so that was something. Had a happy ending to that. Yeah, it had a happy ending to it. Yeah, but uh, it was sad to say that he, you know, you know, went back, you know, after that, and but glad to know that he's uh, uh, now, you know, out again and, and doing well. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, when I call up on him and his wife, Lord Lorraine. We go to the local schools and speak to the children. He's mm -hmm. the first one there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my friend Brian Kitchen with Ramsey gonna be there. Mm -hmm. He give a he give a great presentation mm -hmm. and encourage the children. So yeah. Now you also said that, you know, you know we we know that you know speaking of Ramsey <clears throat> and knowing today in our community, the, the, I mean the things that's going on. We talking about the atrocity, the violence, the killing. The, it just it's never end. The drug situation. What are some things that, that you can see that possibly, from sitting from the view of the bench, mm -hmm. you 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 have to do it as a judge. You got to do what you got to do. Right. <clears throat> but what? Do, how you figure? How you see that we can help or be assistant to the community at this time? 
Well, you know, um, LD, um, I um, I think about this all the time, and uh, I reflect back on a time when I was on the bench. Um, I went to speak to a class um, at a middle school, and um, and I talked to them, you know, about the the pains and penalties of getting involved in crime and so forth, and uh, and and afterwards, uh, the teacher asked me, you know, could you come back and just speak to more kids, more, uh, especially these young black men? And um, I said, yes, I'll do that. And what and what I did, I pulled together. Uh, uh, Judge uh, uh, Tyson and Judge Calloway, who were on the city bench at the time, and some black lawyers, to say, "Hey, look, you know, I want y'all to go back to the school with me, and um, so we can, you know, share with these students, you know, what uh, they're headed for if they." Uh, get involved in, in, in criminal conduct and, and drugs and crime and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, because it's hard to help them when they're standing in front of you. Right. right. You limited them. Right, right, right. Yeah. There is a, a, a parable that I used to tell, and if you don't mind, I'll share it and try to tie it into uh, what we're talking about. And these are the speeches that I used to give uh, where there were... Uh, two guys, you know, in a boat, and as they was paddling along, all of a sudden they saw this man on a bridge throwing babies into the water. And and they rode as fast as they could to get there, just started picking the babies out and putting them in the boat. And then one of the men dove into the water, started swimming toward the bank. And the guy in the boat said, where are you going to help me to save the babies? And the guy who was swimming toward the bank said, I'm going to stop the man from throwing them in the water in the first place. So the, so the story of that is that we have to save the babies. Get them before they get into the stream of all of this crime and stuff that they're involved in, once they get in into the, you know, that criminal system, you know, it's hard to get them out. And plus, you, you want to get in it, you, you, you typecast, you stamped. So the idea is let's do something to save the babies before they get into the, 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 the life of crime and drugs and so forth. And that's how we, we started a program that we call MAL, the Metropolitan Area Law League, uh, when I was on district court. I was heading it up. Uh, and we formed uh, a partnership with the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board and the Department of Corrections. What we did with the school board was kids who were on the verge of being put out of school uh, and you know, who were, you know, had real discipline problems. Uh, that they would refer them to our group and on Saturdays we had a program 
we had uh, three different modules uh, where we brought kids in, uh, drugs and crime in the community, uh, and you're talking about relationships, correlations, correlation between drugs and crime, correlation between education and employment, correlation between positive self-imaging, self-esteem. And we had people who would talk to kids and counsel with kids in all three of these areas. And uh, we had uh, the DA's office helped out. Uh, the Department of Corrections uh, sent us um, a team of prisoners who would come in and talk to them about prison life. That is, you know, not all peaches and cream. You know, you don't you want don't want to come up here where we are. And. Um, we had uh, assistant DAs and public defenders, you know, uh, and the program went well for about four years. And um, so um, we, uh, and the only thing that, that killed the program, I, I ended up going to the Court of Appeals. We ended up having somebody rotating in to chair it, and they stopped wanting to deal with the bad kids, they wanted to deal with the good kids. And when they shifted just dealing with the good kids, I mean, the, the whole idea behind what we were trying to be about, keeping the kids from getting into the stream, you know, saving the babies, uh, those kids, the good kids are gonna be saved anyhow. Yeah. You know, they got the parental support, you know, that helped to save them. So I'm saying a lot to say that I just had a conversation with Hilla Moore, uh, just, district attorney, who is the district attorney now, and told him that uh, I've been talking to some of the retired black judges. Uh, we want to restart the mall program, and I wanted to know whether or not uh, uh, he would uh, support our group getting involved, and he said, yes, indeed. He said, matter of fact, there's a meeting coming up next week, and matter of fact, I talked to him Monday, that um, he want me to come to, make my pitch to the group that he's gonna be at. Uh, uh, Trey uh, Godfrey, you know, uh, Brace Godfrey's Grace, son. Grace, yes, sir. Uh, uh, Trey uh, is heading up. Uh, Trey's an attorney? attorney? No, no, Trey's not an attorney, yeah. But he's heading up uh, a program that uh, uh, that's involved with this, and so I called Trey, and we're getting together. Uh, matter of fact, on the, tomorrow, maybe, maybe if not tomorrow, it'd be Monday, I think. Uh, but yeah, we want to. It has to be a, a whole community solution to this. Uh, uh, we we got to. I mean, it's the you know it's stemming the prison. I mean the, the school to prison pipeline. The dropout rate is almost 40% in East Baton Rouge Parish. Now, let me ask you this here. Now, we know coming up, there's always a few bad right. children in all communities. Right. But is that the rate, rate, at the rate in place now where it's just out of control? <clears throat> Now, when I grew up, there was always a man around. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, you happen to go in, you go into office, take jurisdiction around the same time that President Clinton 
Reagan, the Clinton signed crime bills uh, that you think had an impact or changed the, direct, the trajectory of our of the community that we come from? What, how what, did you look at that? Is any impact that where? Because once you put all these men in in prison, who, who women have to run the household? You know, because we're the only society in this country in this world that have a matriarchic matriarch. 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 Society. Mm -hmm. Most societies are the men provide, the men do the work, the women, know, everybody got a role. Right. So the matriarch society sounds good, but where's the man? Right, right. You know, right, that's, right. that's kind of something you might, you might come get out of slavery. But, you know, even in, in the, in the, in the large communities, the, the white community, they had the men around. So that was right. a matriarch. That was, right. You know. Well, I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, absence of having, uh, you know, uh, male image in the uh, in the home, you know, uh, you know, that's why we we had mothers uh, who came to us with the mall program and asked about, you know, can y'all start something for us to help us to deal with these badass kids, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, you know, because, you know, these women realize that, hey, look, you know, we can't do it all. You know, fortunately, you know, we, you know, I was fortunate to have a mother and father and, uh, and uh, the value of having a dad there with that, you know, I got uh, a whip on my back right now with my... With my <laughs> <laughs> shit, <I'm laughs> but you live to tell you live to tell a story. Yeah, shit, my <laughs> look, 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 you already told me that you got off track in, 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 in middle school. Yeah, shoot. It could have yeah. easily got into something serious. Something serious could have happened just in those in that year. Or two yeah, yeah. That could have put you somewhere in jail. Or, Absolutely, yeah. But for the grace of God, you but know. You, so. But you had a dad that you, you every time you done something, you thought about. Shoot, I got to go home. Look, man, look. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was trying to run and they hit me with that belt and uh, that whip is still there. <laughs> but um, what can we do? Okay. What, um, what, what, I mean, it, um, it's already to happen. It's, it's hard to undo, but we got to figure out. Yeah, we, what um, can we do? It, it's, a, it's a community solution. You know, we can't just put it on, you know, uh, you know, the, the teachers, you know, they're having a heck of a time just trying to teach and you putting other stuff on them. You got to be, you know, parents, you got to be, you know, other folks who, you know, uh, surrogate parents. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, the police is about just putting folks in, in, in jail, basically, but, you know, there has to be something to come out of that also to, you know, help to stem the tide. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, if 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 I had, if I had to answer the 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 magic elixir that uh, that would make all of this go away, you know, we would have it. But it's a it's a community solution, and it has to start when kids are early. You, you know, wait, yeah, you can't wait yeah, yeah, because if you, uh, you know, eighteen and nineteen, these are, these kids are, are committing a lot of the crime. You know. Um, and one of the things, you know, I, I you know, I hate to uh, denigrate the the rap world, but the rap world 
you know, some good is in it, but I see a lot of bad, you know, yeah, because you got, uh, you know, too many kids, you know, trying to emulate, you know, they want to be a rapper and forgetting about everything else. And uh, they get caught up in that world. Um, you know, I'm doing a, a pro bono case right now, which is the last case that I'm doing. It's a pro bono case where I'm trying to help a young lady uh, who's been in prison now for uh, almost 10 years. But uh, she was out one night with uh, uh, some rapper folks and uh, they got into some stuff. Somebody got killed. And uh, even though she didn't stab, shoot, uh, poison, kill nobody, she served in a life sentence because uh, they said she was part of all what was going on. Um, you know, and I believe that she had no intent to do what uh, the perpetrator did, um, but she got caught up with the wrong people. And that's a, a lot of that is happening because folks want to be a part of what's, want to be a part of the crowd. I mean, I mean, that's another message that we try to send. You have to be, and I, and I write about it in the book also, you have to be mindful of who you're who you associate with, because they can carry you up and they can carry you down. You know, with, with, with the, being in the system that we are in today, all right, <clears throat> when you got, they, they make laws that don't benefit you, don't benefit you, they benefit the young people who, now they got more rights than the, than the elders. That's not the community that I once knew. You know, like you, know, like you said, your dad was able to whip you Oh yeah, and what they call chastise you because yeah. trusting he gonna do it with love. Mm -hmm. His intent is to get you on track. Cause right. you got to represent him, his your family, and everybody else. Right. But the system can whip you and care less. Cause you go to prison, they beat you down. I mean, they handle you any kind of way. Now if police can can if they can catch you on camera shooting somebody or what happened with George Floyd. Yes. A lot of people, you know, I think a lot of things don't happen on the camera. And we've been knowing, and our community have been going on for many, many years. But to make these new laws that give the give children, teachers don't have any more power. So it's like this, is this orchestrated to go this way? You know what I'm saying? Um, I mean, uh, so how do you, how can you even fight against it, defend it, when some behind the scenes, this is being orchestrated. Maybe it's not, but it sure seems like a calculated plan. Well, you know, a lot of times you have think tanks, you know, people who uh, uh, sit down and spend time thinking about um, how to stem the tide of things that's going on that's happening adverse uh, in various communities, and a lot of times it's, uh, you know, uh, if something adverse is happening in the black community, they don't want it to spill over in the white community, so therefore we're going to think about how we can stop it before it gets in my community, and we'll come up with some laws to, in turn, you know, make sure it doesn't happen. Um, you know, things have, have changed, yes, you know, tremendously since, you know, we, we grew up. Uh, I uh, 
you know, our, our parents, uh, and, and you know, and, and, and I also, I talk about this in the book also, I said that uh, growing up in Valley Park, uh, you know, working class families, you know, we really all didn't have a whole lot, but our parents wanted us to be the best that we could be and wanted a better life for us. And, and a lot of us turned out pretty good. You know, some went to college, some went to the army, you know, some followed the footsteps of their parents who were carpenters, bricklayers, uh, you know, in the trades, doing the trades, and then some went to prison. But we pretty much knew back then who was going to end up going. You know, uh, I remember, uh, you know, if a bicycle was stolen, we knew who, you know, who had it. Um, and you had to beat it over to his house before he had so many he would change things around. Um, but, um, you know, the introduction of drugs in our community. I, I, you know, growing up, I don't, I knew folks who were doing marijuana, and I really wasn't exposed to that until I got into the, to the Army. Uh, all of this stuff is so pervasive now. There's, you know, the, the value of, of work, the value of family, the value, the value system, uh, a lot of it has broken down. And um, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I get exasperated, you know, thinking about it, but, you know, I'm not going to quit. You know, I'm getting older. Uh, yeah, we can't quit that. Yeah. Um, so that's why, you know, I've reached out to the DA and I've reached out to uh, some of the black judges who've retired and we all want to get in and try to you try to do what we can to help you know save uh our kids i mean in representing this young lady i had to go up to angola uh uh to get a statement from the young man who uh did this killing and you're talking about what it was like to be on the plantation back then you know just hordes of black men Black bodies. Black bodies, warehoused, I mean, peering out of behind bars. And, and I want, you know, youngsters, you, do, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? So, you know, we going to try to do some shock therapy and or whatever in, in order to try to join with some other groups to... Uh, to save as many as we can. Something got to be done. We got to start somewhere. We do know. That. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, that is a great start with your with the mall. What do they call it again? Metropolitan Area Law League. That was the name of the group that that we had. Remember, when I talk about Valley Park uh, again, and uh, then um, for Black History, the fourth Sunday in in uh, in, black, in uh, Black History Month. We had a program uh, in Valley Park at New Gideon Baptist Church. I, uh, I was the coordinator of it, uh, where we celebrated community and families. We had over 300 people to come. Uh, and these were people who grew up back during my day and a little after me, and folks came from California, from Georgia, from Texas. 
uh, and folks who still lived in Valley Park, folks who had moved out. But all, we came back to celebrate the community that we grew up in, for what the community, you know, that the African proverb takes a, a village. So we came back to celebrate that village and celebrate the, our families, you know, because our families are heroes too, because these are the heroes who in turn helped to uplift us and helped us to be the best that we could be. You know, oftentimes, you know, we talk about, you know, celebrating this history maker and this history maker, and we forget about the people who were right there in our own homes. So uh, that's what, yeah, this is, this is what we uh, wanted to do. So, but LD, I'm, uh, uh, you know, thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity to come and talk and talk about my book. You know, can I read something from my book? Please do, and also you, you got to tell everybody who your beautiful wife, you, you didn't mention her name. Oh, my wife is Harriet Anderson Pitchard. Dr. Harriet Anderson Pitcher, All right. and, 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 and my daughter is Dr. Kyla Dean Pitcher. You know, Harriet is now retired. Um, Kyla recently returned back to Baton Rouge. She was uh, in administration at the at Alabama and M. She uh, uh, was associate vice president of student affairs, but she's here now. My wife is having uh, some medical issues, so she wanted to come home to uh, to kind of help out. But my wife really, uh, the wind under my wings. But let me, you know, again, my book is entitled Breaking Barriers, The View from the Bench, and it was published by the LSU Press. It's a uh, five star on Amazon. Uh, you can get it at uh, uh, the LSU uh, Press website. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it uh, Barnes and Nobles. Uh, and uh, Goodreads, all of the uh, online services, you know, that, that sell books, you can get it. Let me read this. I think about the time I spent sitting on the bench in front of Owen's grocery store, not knowing what my future held, and marvel at what I'd been able to accomplish. Never did I envision that I would be elected to a judgeship three times over nor did I imagine serving as an associate justice ad hoc on the Louisiana Supreme Court, becoming a partner in a major law firm, or being named chancellor of a law school. Most of the boys on the bench would have been thrilled with a trip to New Orleans. To think I would be making multiple trips to teach and lecture at law schools in Europe, Africa, and Asia was out of the question. On one of my trips to the Republic of Turkey, I received an honorary Doctor of Law degree from Seat University, an honor unimaginable during my days on the neighborhood bench. None of these things were on my radar screen growing up. However, I chose not to let the fog of the segregated society in which I grew up dictate the chapters in my life. I stepped outside of my comfort zone and developed the fortitude to forge relationships through jobs and social networking that created opportunities for me to achieve my eventual goal of becoming a judge. God opened doors and I walked through them. This memoir is my story, one that I'm grateful to tell. 
I tell it to encourage other young people to dream big, work hard, and never give up. I was able to take a journey that led me from the neighborhood bench to the bar as a lawyer and to the bench as a judge and to points beyond, making history and experiencing a world I never thought I would see. Beautiful. Well, thank you. Beautiful. That, that, those are heart, heartfelt thoughts. Well, in, in the truth. Well, you know, um, when I the initial title to my book was going to be uh, "From the Bench to the Bar to the Bench," and it uh, Orange Grocery Store is still in Valley Park. There were two benches on the outside of Orange Grocery Store, and that's where uh, young men in the neighborhood used to congregate. And based on your age is whether or not you could sit on the bench. The older boys got a chance to sit on the bench. Uh, you had to earn that right to, to get on the bench. And so I eventually got the chance to sit on the bench. Okay, but that showed you the respect for each other in the community at that time. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and look, and when uh, I, I talked about uh, this celebration we had in Valley Park, uh, a bunch of us laugh about that to this day, you know, about that bench uh, on, on the benches in front of Owens Grocery, um, how um, we gathered and we, talk, and, and we talked about uh, sports and girls. You know, that's, all, that, that's, that's it. That's sports all and girls. What else you know. could talk about? Right. But at the same time, we said we were not oblivious to the segregated society that we were growing up in because we all wanted to break out of that society and be the best that we could be and, and become somebody. So there it is, from the bench to the bar to the bench. Now, now we got to go by always gross one day and take a picture and get oh, yeah. a meal. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we gotta go over there one day okay. before we put this podcast up and get and grab that picture now. Okay, okay. That would that would be nice. Okay. To, to do that. Now. LD, this is your book. Oh, you gonna sign one over? Yeah. Get the book from the jury. Lord have mercy. I truly appreciate that. Everybody, he's signing my personal copy of the book that I would be receiving today. We want to encourage everyone out there, you know, uh, this, this awesome man, magnificent human being and community leader, that we all, best we can, support him, support him by buying this book. Uh, we thank LSU for, for printing it, but it would help if LSU helped to promote it too. <laughs> so we, we want to encourage LSU to step up their game a little bit too, where we can get this book out, not just in the Baton Rouge area, but all over the state and country because, uh, you know, we got people doing great things all over, but some people deserve a, a, you know, like you only get one Martin Luther King in this world. And Jeremy, I'd like to thank you for being here today, for thank you for being part of Count Time, and thank you for giving your, up your time to be here. Thank you, LD. Thank great. you, young man. Great. Appreciate you. Man can shackle the hand, man can shackle the feet, but only you can shackle the mind. The mind is free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time Podcast.